Let's read first the text, and then we'll talk about why. This is uh, some of the hardest words that the Bible has for us as people of God. So we're reading right where we left off from last week in 1 Peter 2, verse 11 through 17. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is our fourth week of our series called Imperishable, where we're just looking at the book of First Peter, the letter to the believers in Asia Minor from Peter the Apostle, who was writing an encouragement to these people that were in oppression and were on the margins of society. And we get a glimpse into now what this letter is truly about. The, le- the first three weeks we were talking mainly about the introduction. Welcome, I'm glad you're here, you're wonderful people, Keep up the good work. And now when he starts this uh, verse 11 with dear friends, some versions say beloved, he's talking to the church body itself and saying, here's the reason I'm writing to you. And so in this, we finally get to the meat of the whole conversation. Um, There was a pastor in Tennessee who was... um, a little bit discouraged by what he had seen from his church and his community and in talking with people around there. So he started a website called Sunday is the Worst. This is a pastor that started this website. And what it was was a community forum, an outreach for um, wait staff, people who worked in restaurants on Sundays to come and complain about Christians who came to their restaurants to eat. And it was eye-opening for the Christian community in the first place because they had no idea that this was going on. But waiters and servers and cooks and hostesses had seen, and there was this uh, really poorly kept secret in the community that Sundays really were the worst because when Christians came in, they treated their servers poorly, they were poor tippers, they demanded lots of things, and then they left um, in loud numbers. Uh, A couple of the stories from there, um, one person left uh, uh, an evangelical tract on the table that looked like a $20 bill, and the server picked it up and it wasn't money, it was, hey, you could be saved and come to church. There is a time and place for that, but when you are taking that out of the server's mouth, um, that's maybe not the best witness to the community to do that. 
Another one said that a pastor, this was a pastor in the community, um, called the server over and put two nickels in her hand and said, silver and gold, I have none, but I give you the gift of God. And that was the tip that he left. And then he drove away in his Cadillac. Again, we want to evangelize. We want to witness for God. We want to do these great things in the community. But man, we go about it the wrong way, don't we? Sometimes we can't get out of our own way to say, you know what, there is a time and place and I can be a better witness for God. I can be a better witness for the community. I can be a better Christian. I can love my neighbor better if I can treat the world around me with better respect. And so Peter looks at them metaphorically and says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. That's the purpose of the letter right there. Abstain from sinful desires. Now, the reason we should do that is so that we can live such good lives that the people around us may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Now, that's a message we can stand behind. That's something that we can, as people say, I'm going to live such a good life, not to get into heaven, not to gain favor with God, not to um, show that I am better than everyone around me. I am going to live a good life and, good, and do good deeds and do good things because I want to be winsome to the world around me. I want to entice people into this life of Christianity. I want people to see that there is a better way to live amongst the people around us. Live such good lives that no one can deny you. And in fact, live such a good life that they are found to be fools and they are found to be ignorant and that they are found to be um, people that have gone the wrong way. He says, doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And I love that line. In fact, there's a lot of lines that I love in this passage. And there are some lines that I do not like at all. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about those things that we really do like, which is to be winsome to the world. And then let's talk about those things that we do not like, which is to honor the emperor. Because what Peter is saying is, if you want to live in a Christian community, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a God follower and a God honorer, there are two ways that we can do this. There are two things that you need to do in your community to show people the love of God. And so the first one is that we can do self, we can do Christian witness through self-denial. And Peter says an identifying mark of God's ownership of the Christian community is its distinction, like moral distinction from the rest of those around them. That there is a, a clear dividing line between what Christians believe and what the world believes. And a lot of times, secular friends of mine, atheists, people that don't believe in God, people that don't go to church, people that used to be Catholic or have wandered away or no longer practice, whatever the case might be, they'll come to me and say, well, what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? I see Christians, but they don't look all that different than from what I'm doing. 
then I'll say, well, then you haven't seen Christians. Because to be a Christian is to look different in society. It's to act differently. It's to speak differently. And it's to treat people differently. And it's so it's in these self-denial and these moralistic tendencies that the rest of the world has that we can step up and say, no, 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 no. As a Christian, I'm going to deny myself that. Because I think that there's a better way to do these things. The words foreigners and exiles in there may have a literal geographic significance, indicating those who uh, made their homes in places other than the homes of their ancestors. So these are people that are far from where they grew up. These are people far from anyone that they know of. They don't have friends here. They don't have relatives here. And so now living in this place, they are outcasts. And foreigners in Peter's time are often held at arm's length. They're typically viewed with suspicion. They have an unstable position within the dominant culture around them. And this is typical of Peter's time, but it's also pretty typical of our time as well. Because we have been brought up to not uh, sort of to fear the things that we don't know, fear the unknown. Well, it's different than me, so how can I understand it? And how can I respect it? How can I honor it? How can I conduct myself? They are very suspicious, those people that live among us and don't look like us and don't act like us and don't talk like us. Well, guess what? We are the exiles. We are the foreigners in culture. And so if you think I'm talking about immigration again, you're wrong. I'm talking about us living in a culture of people that don't look like us. And when we start to blend among them, when we start to do the things that they like to do, when we start to meet them in those places and we start to say, yeah, that's good, that's fine. Uh, I'm just here, I'm just biding my time in order to, in order to get to, to heaven. Well, I don't know what the difference is between me and Christians. I don't know what I have to give up in order to be a Christian. I don't think you're a Christian. Because Christianity, Jesus has called us to a new life, a new way. In light of the resurrection, how can we now be living? We talked about the first week, living hope through all of these things and the living word of God. And then last week we talked about uh, uh, living stones, building those stones brick by brick, and we're invited into that process. Now we're talking about living life, living behavior, living in a way, because the way of the world is perishing. The silver and gold that we claim to want and grow from and hoard, that all perishes. And so Peter is inviting us into this new way of life saying, you know what? As a Christian, you're going to have to give things up. In fact, you might be called to give up everything that you have. You need to count the cost before following Jesus. You need to know what it is worth to you and what is Jesus worth in your life. The consequence of abstaining from fleshly desires is having this praiseworthy conduct that Peter's not saying you need to deny the things of this world so that you'll be 
better people and that you'll be accepted by God and you'll go into heaven. Because Peter is saying, if you get rid of all of those things of the world, if you get rid of the fleshly desires, if you get rid of the things that the community wants you to do and live a life that is worthy of God, the things that it is replaced with are is praise of God and humble submission to each other and servanthood. In fact, Peter doesn't give a full list here, but in our series so far, Praiseworthy conduct would include a holiness of life, a, a life set apart, a mutual love of one another. And last week we talked about proclaiming the mighty acts of God. And so to that list, we can add self-denial and honoring everyone. This is what praiseworthy conduct looks like. A self-denial of who we are, a self-denial of the ways of the world, and a self-denial of the things of our heart that seem to be at sometimes more worthy than God is. Jesus, in fact, taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your good deeds glorify God. Your good deeds act as a witness to Christ. And so when we act like people who have lost our minds when we go out to eat or when we deal with people in society or we deal with people online or we deal with people on the phone or we deal with people in any situation, how are we looking different how are we denying the way, this is how I feel, this is how I act, this is, well, this is what I wanted to say to him. How often do you say, this is what I wanted to say to him. This is how I really felt about the situation. Boy, oh boy, if, had they seen me at a different time, I would have really let him have it. How many times do we think that through? How many times do we say that to ourselves about, well, you know what? This is, this, I got to walk away because there are things I want to say here. Now, are we denying that part of our lives? Are we denying who we are? Because the world wants to drag us down into this fight. The world wants to tell us that you can do it our way. You can do it not your way. But why don't you come and join us? Join the fight. But we choose to say, I'm gonna deny all those things. I'm gonna deny the anger. I'm gonna deny the selfishness because I want you to see how good God is. <laughs> not about me. It's not about this church. It's not about who we are as a community. This is about showing who God is. And so if we have faith, Peter and Paul and Jesus and James and all the writers of the New Testament will come together and say, if you have faith, let's show it in a way that proves to the community that God is good. Now think back on your week. Think back on all the things that have brought you here to this point. Think about all of those opportunities to interact and invest in others' lives. Invest in your neighbors and invest in the people in your family and in your work and in your schools. Did you deny the world? Did you deny yourself and say, I want this, act, I want this interaction with them to show the love of God? 
I want this communication with another person. I want this relationship now to show the love of God. I want you to know that God is good. So here's what I'm going to say. Here's the way I'm going to treat you. Here's the way that all of these things work together. Because see, I think in the old way of religion, I think in the old way that we were brought up, that we were taught, it was you have faith and you get into heaven and you don't need to do good things in order to make those a reality. That you're saved, you're accepted because of who you are in Christ Jesus and that is true. But now he's saying take it a step further because if you love God, then you will love his people. And you will love all his people. Because as a Christian, it is our duty, it's our responsibility to witness to others through honoring them, respecting secular people and authority. Okay, now, I know this is tough. I can get on board with that first part. Yeah, I have to be winsome to everyone. I have to deny the world. But... There's a problem because I don't agree with everything that my authorities tell me to do. In fact, I think they're wrong on about half of the things that they say. I'm just not sure which half is wrong. The obedience that Christians have to the government is not so much an endorsement of rulers, but what if I told you that our respect of government has more to do with respect of God? By respecting authority, by, by serving our rulers and our authority in this nation, in this country, in, in this state, in this community, is not an endorsement of authority. It's not an endorsement of the things that they do and they say and the laws that they make, but it is out of devotion to God that I submit myself to you and to those people and to my authorities Hmm, now that changes things. That changes things in my life because, oh man, I have so many things against the government. I have so many things that I want to say and tell them, and they're so wrong about everything. And let's try and bring Christianity through the government because that's worked so well for 2,000 years. But let me tell you this. What if devotion to our leaders was about devotion to God. We don't have to believe everything they say. We don't have to agree with everything they say. No matter who's in the White House, no matter who's in the state government building, no matter who is mayor of this town, no matter who your boss is, no matter who your master is, God is saying, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to endorse them. You don't have to vote for them. But I want you to honor them. Ooh. Now that's hard to do because they are so wrong all the time, aren't they? So how am I supposed to honor someone who's wrong? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Because God honors you and you're wrong. So the respect and devotion and worth that God shows to you that he reached down from heaven and said, here is my son and you are all wrong and you've done it wrong and your ideas are dumb and you're small people and I love you for it. 
And you're the best thing that's ever happened to this planet and also the worst. But here's my son. Do with him what you want. Respect him. Honor him. Use your freedom for something. Oh, oh, you're going to kill him? Okay, well, that's good too. I'll use this opportunity to show you again how wrong you are. God honors you because he thinks you are worthy and he only wants the same thing for us. He's saying, I want you to honor your people in authority because I've done the same for you. And you won't stop talking about the wrong thing and you won't change your mind when I tell you the right thing to do and you just keep doing the wrong thing. And man, I love you though. And I want to serve you. I don't want to be with you. Both Peter and Paul show that one's devotion to God is the primary motivation for submission to human government. I could get on board with all that other stuff, but I am going to have to ask for some grace in this second half. Submission to our government is devotion to God. And for Peter, the government's major role was to create order in society, to live in a way that was marked by control of all the chaos. Because we think that government is necessary in some cases. Whether we agree on how big that government should be is another case. But there is a necessary for control. And God is only saying, I want you to respect those people who are trying their hardest to control wild people. And we won't agree on how we can control them. We won't agree on all the ways that we should submit to that control. But what comes from that is order. What comes from that is something peaceable. And so the community of believers must behave in such a way that any accusations of wrongdoing on their part would be unfounded. Love for others in the community is of paramount importance as it was addressed earlier in our second week. And it will show up again in chapter four. And in fact, we're not gonna talk about the next two sections in the letter. But Peter says, here's how we can represent authority. Here's how we can submit to each other. And then he starts off by saying the word slaves in verse 18, which is hard for us to understand now and so we have a hard time processing what that might look like. But a slave in this case was just a, a household servant is who he's talking to. So he first talks to people on the margins of society and says, here's how we submit to authority. And then he talks to husbands and wives. And a lot of times we want to take that out of context and say, well, Peter talks to wives and says, submit to your husbands out of reverence of God. But that section we just need to not take out of context so much because Peter's talking to husbands and wives. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands out of reverence for God. And so those two sections are ways that we can submit to each other who are in authority over us or in authority with us. And next week, we're going to talk about the third way, which is how we can have close relationships in the church, in the community of believers that we're in. But while the relationship among sisters and brothers within the community is characterized by love, God is to be feared 
which suggests a respect and awe rather than a terror. And the emperor is the highest example of those outside the community and is to be honored. By living upright lives characterized by love, honor, and respect, Christians will carry out God's will, offering a positive testimony for the Lord before the eyes of the unbeliever. And over the years, the church has gotten more and more into politics, which was not always the case. But Jesus was a political person. The words that he said were political. He did not have a political party, but he was a very political person. In fact, the word politic is just Latin for public. How you live in public, those are your politics. And so do we want partisan politics where people can know what party we vote for by the way we act or the things that we say or, or, or who we carry on with? Or do we want God politics where people can see that we carry on with God and we have a loving relationship with God and that's what they know first and foremost about us. That God is our supreme authority over everything. And so through that, we submit to him and we submit to each other out of devotion to him. Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you on this because this is so hard to do because I think what we've lost in our society and especially as Christians is we've lost our ability to disagree with people but to still love them. We've lost our ability to sit down with someone who we disagree with and love them and honor them and give them worth because here is Peter saying the ultimate goal is to give the emperor the worth that he has. And maybe that doesn't mean as an emperor, but maybe that just means as a person. Maybe Peter wants you to honor the people in authority, not because they are in authority, but because they're God's children. They're the creation of God. And to honor the emperor means that no one in God's creation is unworthy of honor. We don't have to agree with them. We don't have to believe them. They are not right. And I can prove to you that they're not right. Here's my list of arguments on ways that they're not right. But man, do I love them. How would this nation change if Christians started to adopt that about their leaders, about their authorities, about their presidents, about their governors, about anyone that stands in authority above them? I don't agree with you, but man, do I love you. And I pray for you because this has to be the toughest job in the world. Whoa. Now that is a witness that Peter is talking about. That is a way that we can change our community by saying, you know what? Let let people play partisan politics over here. We're not gonna get dragged down into that game. We're not gonna get dragged down into that fight because there's a better way to live. There's a better way to honor people and to give them respect and to give them the things that they deserve. Oh, well, they don't deserve it. Do you see how they voted that last time they were in? They don't deserve honor. They don't deserve worth. They do because they are God's creation. 
And then Peter does this really strange thing. He says, live as free people. And then at the end of the sentence, he says, live as God's slaves. Let me make sure I'm reading that right. Live as free people, live as God's slaves. How do we reconcile the two things? How can we live both as free people and to live as God's slave? Because I think what Peter is telling us is really, really important. That if we are to live as free people, how are we using our freedom? How are we using our freedom to affect the people around us? If you are God's slave, if you answer to God only, how are you using that freedom from the things of this world to confound the world, to confuse them, to prove them wrong? What is your freedom being used for? <laughs> and what good is your freedom in Christ if you're not using it to proclaim Christ in everything you do? Yes, you should protest. Yes, you can disagree. Yes, Martin Luther started a revolution by nailing the 95 Thesis to the church in Wittenberg. Yes, you can do it, but you can also live at peace with those people. You can disagree and still love them. You can disagree and still show respect. You can disagree and live in a community together with them. Because you were not worthy of respect. You were not worthy of honor. You were not valued by anyone. And then God comes along and says, this is how much I love you. Oh, by the way, he said, this is how much I love the world that I'm gonna send my son to die for it. This is the way of Christianity. It's hard to be a Christian. It's also really easy to be a Christian if you let it. But it is really hard to be a Christian because every morning we have to wake up and we have to say, what am I gonna use my freedom for today? Am I gonna use my freedom to honor people, to bless them, to praise God? Am I gonna use my freedom for good works to show people the proclamation that God is good and God is love and God is moving through this community and moving through you and using me as a living stone? Or am I gonna use my freedom to curse and to cause trouble for other people and to start fights and to start war? How are we going to use our freedom our behavior directly impacts missional impact. We are on mission for God. We are a church on mission for God. Remember, God doesn't have uh, a mission for his people. He has people for his mission. And so we just can't go rogue. We just can't start saying, well, this is what I want for the world because this is what I believe and this is what I see. We're living in a society though. And we wanna seek Peace and love and honor first because we're gonna win a lot more people to what we want to do, what Christ wants to do, what God's mission is for the planet that way than any other way.